Welcome to uh, our study of 1 Timothy chapter 6. In this video, we're going to be unpacking uh, Paul as he finishes addressing uh, certain people groups within the church of Ephesus that Timothy is helping to temporarily pastor at, uh, seemingly at this point. And uh, Timothy is going to uh, have to deal with, in this chapter, uh, slaves and their masters, which are all within the same church, talk about a sticky situation. And also he's going to have to deal with something um, that hopefully is known to you, which is that of human greed. This quickly, when I studied it uh, extensively and all of the hours and hours of research I, I poured into these books, uh, this chapter has become one of my favorite because of the uh, depth of teaching that we really find concerning greed and money and our love of money and how that can affect us as humans and what Paul encourages us to as Christians. And I hope I can share that with you faithfully and help you to see the, the deep well of uh, wisdom that is here in this chapter. As well, uh, Paul will speak to not only masters and slaves, and uh, not only human greed, but also he's going to deal with the false teachers and their greediness and the problems that they're causing. And lastly, he's going to uh, address rich people and that people group. So in uh, the previous chapter, we had widows and we had elders and all things that needed to be known and dealt with with uh, widows and with elders, pastors. And for this chapter, we're dealing with the people groups of masters and slaves. We're also dealing with rich people. And Paul's going to also discuss in depth human greed. And he's also going to discuss in some depth um, just some encouragement for Timothy and, and what he needs to be uh, focused on. So as we jump into... Uh, this first uh, few verses of uh, verse one and two of first uh, Timothy chapter six, he is talking about masters and slaves. Obviously, this is a challenging Bible topic. We are going to address this in greater depth when we talk about the book of Philemon, the short little letter. Um, it's only one chapter, I believe. So after we go through first uh, Timothy, we'll then cover Titus, uh, most likely because that was the order it was written in. And then we'll cover 2 Timothy, and from there we'll follow the chronology of the Bible. There's not really too much method to this madness, but we'll follow and jump into uh, first, uh, first chapter of Philemon. And the reason for that is because we're going to delve deeply into uh, slavery. And I'll do a video on New Testament slavery. This is a big passage for that. There's more passages, but we will deal with those and more in a separate video on slavery, kind of like we addressed men and women in the church. If you've watched that video, uh, we'll discuss at length slavery in the New Testament. But I want to really focus our textual studies specific on the text, the issues of the text. And I don't want to get too far down any rabbit trails. I know we can uh, venture a little bit, but we want to focus. So uh, chapter six, verse one, he says, all those, uh, all who are under the yoke as slaves should regard their masters as worthy of all respect so that 
God's name and his teaching will not be blasphemed. Let those who have believing masters not be disrespectful to them because they are brothers, but serve them even better since those who benefit from their service are believers and dearly loved. Right? So this passage is interesting because what we see here is that Paul is encouraging slaves to be extremely respectful towards their masters. Masters who are Christians, uh, Christians owning other Christians. Um, Now, with that being said, this slavery is very different from the slavery that we always usually think about when we think of slavery as 2020 Americans because we think of slavery of Africans. And that slavery was was uh, worse than the slavery that we're usually seeing in the scriptures. Um, So, like I said, we'll unpack that in a separate video, but make sure you don't come to this text with a prejudice of what you think slavery is, because it is different uh, depending upon the time period, Um, especially biblically. um, There's, especially in the Old Testament, we see slaves were, were uh, called to be set free. Slaves were called to be uh, honored and treated equally as human uh, humans with uh, worth and dignity and respect. So we're not going to get into that, but I just want to caricature this and make sure you know uh, that uh, slavery might be more complex throughout history than you may realize. So keep that in mind. What I want to bring out here is that he's not saying that their slavery is a good thing, okay? Uh, He makes that clear right here in the text. All who are under the yoke as slaves, right? Or someone who is bound like that of a a prisoner um, uh, or an animal. Um, He doesn't say it's a good thing, but he doesn't want them to think they have an excuse to be disrespectful or ungodly towards their masters. Actually, um, contrary to culture, he's going to challenge them to be the best Uh, servants that they can be. And so, um, like I said, we'll unpack this. Paul and Philemon addresses uh, actually a slave and master relationship that's going on in that letter. So it's really interesting. Um, But all who are under the yoke, he does not see it as a good thing. But he says, as slaves should regard their own masters as worthy of all respect. He, He challenges them to be extremely respectful Uh, so that God's name and his teaching will not be blasphemed. Let those who have believing masters not be disrespectful to them because they are brothers, right? So God affirms that the master-slave relationship, while complex, should be that of brothers. So the the slaves should be treating their masters as brothers. And likewise, the masters should be treating their slaves as brothers. So Although slavery should be some of the greatest and kindest and most loving slavery anyone's ever seen. Um, And uh, less of a slavery thing and more of a a family thing. Um, Paul's really challenging uh, the status quo of their day. uh, But he's not trying to, as his primary focus, abolish slavery. And uh, we'll talk about why that is. Um, He says, let those who have believing masters not be disrespectful to them because they are brothers, but serve them even better since those who benefit from their service 
are believers and dearly loved, dearly loved by God. Um, and so they need to be respectful, both of them, to each other, um, despite the circumstances, because both are dearly loved by God. Um, so without getting too far along into this, I, I do want to also say that um, Paul is casting a different light onto slavery. He says that uh, they are brothers. I think that's an important section there in these first two uh, verses. And I think it's important because he's casting a light uh, onto this as not being a good practice and also not being um, not being ideal, especially among brothers. But also the reason why I think Paul is not becoming a, a social justice warrior, the reason I think Paul is not trying to... Um, free all the slaves uh, physically as as his primary goal as an apostle is because he has a greater call and mission, which is that of liberating souls from hell. And so we need to keep this in mind that while Paul is uh, against slavery, we see that clear in the New Testament, uh, the whole New Testament and the Old Testament isn't pro-slavery. It just uh, is not prescriptive. It's descriptive of slavery that's been around for all of human history. And might I add, slavery is still around today. But uh, Paul is not encouraging or condoning this, but also his main goal is still the gospel. His main goal is saving souls from hell for all eternity instead of freeing someone for a few years. He's trying to free people for all eternity. Um, so that priority is more important. That priority takes precedent over the other. And for those who are slave or free, um, their goal is to be Christ and their goal is to uh, realize and recognize that they have equal dignity and worth in Christ. Uh, despite being a slave or not being a slave, it's irrelevant. As uh, we see in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, 27. Um, so with that, we'll unpack that later. I know that's a, a big issue and I'm not going to avoid it. I'm going to deal with it in the scriptures. So he says, teach and encourage these things, right? He's encouraging. He wants Timothy to teach the church, uh, namely the, the masters and the, the slaves, to be respectful, be kind, be Christian to one another. You guys are brothers. You guys are family. Uh, he wants to encourage that. Um, if anyone teaches false doctrine and uh, does not agree with the sound teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ and with the teaching that promotes godliness, he is conceited and understands nothing, but has a healthy, unhealthy interest in disputes and arguments over words. So what we're going to see here in uh, verse 3 uh, through 5 is we're going to begin to unpack some descriptions of false teachers. Um, and namely, we're going to talk about things that I want you as a listener to be able to see as a false teacher today in the modern church. Um, and also to be able to understand, as Paul was describing them in the first century church. But false teachers, uh, a couple of characteristics we're going to see through verse 3, 4, and 5. Um, false teachers, one, don't promote godliness. That's a big deal and a big wrong. Uh, secondly, false teachers, you're going to see that they're usually conceited or arrogant or... Um, uh, puffy of themselves or stuck up is another word. Uh, they're conceited. Uh, they're usually uninformed. 
That's a, a very, very common thing that false teachers are radically uninformed about the Bible. So I know that if you're here on this channel listening and watching this, um, you know, I know that the Bible is valuable to you because that's all that we really uh, are going to be doing here for a good while is studying the Bible in depth topically, but main, mainly textually. But we do deal with topics as we encounter them in the text. Um, so they're going to be not promoting godliness. They're going to be conceited. They're going to be uh, uninformed as we're going to see all this in the text. Um, next, we're going to see that they love empty debate, uh, which is very uh, common. Uh, they're going to like to um, cause this debate that is usually empty and meaningless, ultimately causing what we're going to see here in the text, uh, envy um, from, from these uh, empty debates will come envy, quarreling, uh, slander, evil suspicion, and constant disagreement with people within the church. And sixthly... <laughs> Um, these empty debates are going to cause greed for money. And so, and that's what they're really after these false teachers. Uh, so we're going to jump into this uh, with verse three. If anyone teaches false doctrine and does not agree with the sound teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ and with the teaching that promotes godliness, as we already read, uh, he is conceited and understands nothing but has an unhealthy interest um, in disputes and arguments over words from these come envy, quarreling, slander, evil suspicions, as we've just read and discussed all these things and constant disagreement among people whose minds are depraved and deprived of the truth who imagine that godliness is a way to material gain. So as Paul <laughs> so commonly has done this letter and all of his letters, he's got a lot to say and he says in a little man. Uh, little amount of space. And so we're going to unpack this um, and all that it has for us. So he's describing false teachers, those who teach false doctrine. They're not agreeing with the teachings of Jesus and sound teaching of the church. Uh, we see from the first century and with every century that has passed um, in church history, there's always some kind of doctrine that false teachers are trying to twist. That's clearly in scripture. And there's always some kind of debate raging within the church that uh, is usually the product of, of Satan working within false teachers, as we talked about in 1 Timothy chapter 4, to twist God's meaning of things, to uh, secretly try to undermine God's purpose in things, and to uh, really cause and wreak havoc in the church, which leads to all these problems we see listed out. Um, so... It says um, the person who's doing this, the false teacher, is conceited and understands nothing. Um, as we talked about, there's usually going to be a lack of understanding of a faithful interpretation of the scripture. That's usually pretty common, whether that's from ignorance, which is very common. Also, we see this from someone who is not ignorant of scripture, which is common, but who is intelligently uh, trained in a, a worldly way of the scriptures, but they don't have a, uh, uh, a, a deep Holy Spirit enlightened understanding of them. And they're going to use the scriptures to manipulate and twist and contrive and uh, trick people. And that's very common as well. 
so it's not always uh, ignorance. Sometimes it's uh, intelligence, uh, but really a foolish intelligence. So uh, he is conceited, understands nothing, but these false teachers have an unhealthy interest in disputes and arguments over words. We see this as a common thing that Paul is addressing uh, to the church of Ephesus with Timothy. And there's some people around there that just love to argue. They love to uh, really waste time and twist things and cause confusion in people. And so Paul is trying to stifle that. He's going to later in this chapter command Timothy to steer far clear away from that. And he says from these cause envy, right? From these arguments and disputes and um, and twisting from the false teachers. It's going to come envy amongst the church, quarreling between the church over these issues, unnecessary fighting, uh, slander, right? Because it's going to escalate evil suspicions because people are going to start to get skeptical of God's clear truth. Just like in the garden when Satan came in to talk to Adam and Eve and he shared a whole bunch of lies they began to doubt God's clear truth and uh, instead began to believe and uh, they were suspicious of God. That evil suspicions we see here in uh, verse 4, uh, they started to be suspicious of God and His, his uh, good character and promise and, um, and His desire to take care of Adam and Eve and they, they fell. And this happens to this day. Satan's still working as we saw in 1 Timothy chapter 4 through false teachers and uh, influencing them to teach uh, false doctrine. And the same thing happens. They begin to undermine God's good will for us as uh, Christians. And people get all kinds of confused uh, because they do so much disservice to uh, the Christian faith, the Christian text, and uh, God himself. Um, from that comes evil suspicions and constant disagreement among people whose minds are depraved and deprived of the truth. This is a an interesting passage, um, especially verse uh, verse five and six. He says, who imagine that godliness is a way to material gain. Um, so we see here that uh, people whose minds are depraved and deprived of the truth. So what usually happens is false teachers have a different understanding. Um, and it's not a different understanding because they were studying the Bible deeply. It's not a different understanding because the Holy Spirit enlightened them uh, in a different way than what the Holy Spirit himself wrote in the text. It's not at all what's going on. The Holy Spirit is always consistent. The Holy Spirit has inspired every word of Scripture. And so the false teachers are without the Spirit, or are stifling of the spirit. And what's happening is that they are depraved, right? Or empty of the spirit, uh, walking away from the Lord, uh, not walking towards the Lord. And they are deprived of the truth. They have no idea about God, the gospel, and um, this, this grace and truth and uh, Holy Spirit gifting that all Christians have been given. And so they imagine... Right, as we see here in the text, to imagine that godliness is a way to material gain. So their whole purpose, right? So someone like me who who does have the Holy Spirit inside, um, 
the reason I am seeking after a godliness in my life when I am is because I want to please the Lord um, and I want to do what he's commanded me to do. Uh, someone who's a false teacher teaching false doctrine, the reason they want to um, teach on godliness or the, the reason they want to encourage people towards godliness or whatever their concept of godliness is, is right here because they want money. They want material gain. You know, I've owned three different jets in my life and I and used them and just burning them up for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so watch out. Don't trust the guy with the private jet. That's just a good rule of advice as far as Bible teachers go. Um, I could reference many uh, endless modern day um, false teachers who try and are really not only trying, but succeeding off of getting rich from... Um, uh, twisting the Bible and, and not even faithfully teaching the Bible, but going under the guise of, hey, I'm, I'm a pastor, I'm a Bible teacher. Uh, this is all too common. Um, and Paul knew that. This has been around for 2,000 years plus, and he addressed it. Um, and so this is something that wise Christians who study their Bibles will know about and be on their guard for and know what to watch out for. And so that's what we're talking about here today. He says uh, in verse 6, But godliness with contentment is great gain. Uh, this is something, this is a good principle. I want to share this with you. Something I wrote down in my Bible. Godliness should lead to greater contentment, not discontentment. Okay? So the more godly someone becomes, the more content they should become. So this is not only true for Bible teachers, but this is also true for every Christian. As you grow in godliness, you should be growing in contentment. So less is more, the more godly you are. And, and not to go extreme where you need to sell everything you've ever owned um, in the sense that you can never own anything and be a Christian. That's not true. But at the same time, the, the more godly you are and the more eternally focused you become, the less it, it becomes important that you have extra have those things that you don't need. Um, it's always going to be important that you have your necessities. Uh, that's always a given. Uh, this is common to humanity, and we should always want and want to provide those things we need and our family needs. And if we uh, have extra, we should be willing and thankful that God has blessed us and, and willing to share with those around us. But godliness with contentment is great gain. So see the contrast. False teachers see um, getting rich as great gain, whereas a godly teacher or a godly Christian is going to see contentment, being content with, with what you have, whatever that is, or, or of less if you have a ton or too much, is a great gain. Not the material wealth is great gain, but, but contentment is great gain. See the different focuses here uh, with those uh, good teachers versus false teachers. For we brought nothing into the world, verse 7, and we can take nothing out. You know, you, you, you'll never see a U-Haul behind a hearse. Whatever you have in life, you can't take it with you. The Egyptians tried it. All they got was robbed. So it doesn't matter what you have. What matters is what, is what you do with what you have. Not how much you have. But what do you do with what you have and what God has given you? We cannot take stuff with us uh, to eternity, right? The Egyptians got this terribly wrong, and they would uh, bury whole armies of men and, and wealth. Um, 
And so that's why there were so many grave robbers for so long, because there were so much riches that were buried with pharaohs. Uh, but, but we know the reality is that when we die, uh, we're separated from all that is here in this world. And what is left is our relationship with the Lord and that history that was there, how we were in our relationship with the Lord and our obedience to the Lord. And the other thing that's left is our relationship with other people and, and the history that's there and how we treated others. And so we can take nothing out. There's nothing that we are bringing with us. So if we spend our entire life accumulating more and more stuff and goods and and our life is being spent that way, that's the wrong way. That's not the Christian way. Uh, We should be content to receive, but also to give and to give away. As the scriptures say, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Because at the end of our life, it's not going to be out the stuff we accumulated but rather the people that we knew and impacted. And so Paul says this here in verse 8. I love this verse. This is super helpful for me as a Christian when I'm trying to shepherd my own heart, my own greed that does come into my heart from time to time. And I have to remind myself this verse, verse 8, and really these previous verses as well. But he says, if we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. I love that verse. Paul is saying, look, look, we need the bare essentials. We need um, those necessities. And and that is all we need. And we need to be content with that. And from that, we will have contentment. Having those those necessities, things like food, things like clothing, right? Um, We need to be content with that. Notice he doesn't throw shelter in here, right? Uh, We know Jesus... Uh, taught that um, if uh, for his followers that were following him literally in his uh, days that he walked the earth, he he would say foxes have have, uh, holes and birds have nests, but I have no place. The son of uh, God has no place to lay his head. And so Jesus uh, would teach that. And Paul seems to maybe be reverberating that here. I'm not sure. But all he says is food and clothing. We usually throw shelter in there. And yes, I do think shelter should be uh, near the list, but food and clothing. We'll be content with these. That's a great attitude. I try to carry that same attitude uh, to be thankful in any circumstance that God puts me in. And and while I always am going to want more as is human, uh, to be content is a great gain and to choose to not want more uh, really frees us. And so I'd, I'd encourage you and challenge you to think like, Paul is challenging Timothy to think like I'm challenged to think. I hope you're challenged to think this way as well. Um, He says, verse nine, and here's the reason why. Like I said, this text has been super influential to my own life and really helpful. But those who want to be rich fall into temptation. Okay, so those who have that desire to be rich, whoever you are, if you want to be rich, If that's your desire, you're falling into temptation, a trap and many foolish and harmful desires, which plunge people into ruin and destruction. So this is really he's really giving us a theology of greed, a theology of understanding human greed and understanding human temptation for greed. So we need to be content with food and clothing. He says, verse nine, those who want to be rich fall into temptation. So it seems that these things necessarily follow that that uh, 
with riches comes temptation, right? With, with the desire to be rich comes temptation, comes a trap. With, with that desire, also many foolish and harmful desires also come with that. I think this is a universal truth we should be very uh, thankful for and be very weary of that with, with more excess and more desire for excess, more than, than what we can need, uh, th those uh, expansive wants, um, they can really put us into a bad place. And, and Paul seems to be saying here in verse 9 and 10 that they necessarily, um, not that they're necessarily bad to have wealth, but that with wealth comes greater temptation. So that's something we should be very guarded and careful if the Lord chooses to bless us, which is a great thing. If you're a Christian with a lot of money, Paul's actually going to give specific instructions to rich Christians later in this chapter. But uh, it seems to come with a certain burden of temptation. And so um, we need to keep that in mind. He says, many foolish and harmful desires which plunge people into ruin and destruction. So with these riches, um, with this added temptation, added trap, added harmful desires, people can easily become uh, ruined, plunged into ruin uh, and destruction. So if we are blessed financially, we need to be extra careful here. If you don't have that uh, extra, if you're barely making ends meet, um, that's really hard. And I understand but also, um, there's a certain freedom in that um, you're, you're free of the extra temptation there. So there's pros and cons, trade-offs to each side, but with riches and wealth does come added temptation. He says in verse 10, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Notice here, he doesn't say money is the root of all evil. He says for the love of money, right? And... Um, he seems to be speaking of money idolatry. I, idolatry is when you uh, create a God that is not the one true God. It's when you put value on something that it, it uh, has value beyond what God ever desired and you value it as a God or as the God. And he seems to be speaking of this here in verse 10, the love of money or this worship of money, this, this priority number one of money is the root of all kinds of evil. So when money is most important to you, uh, you're going to go down paths that leads you to all kinds of sin, all kinds of evil. And by craving it, verse 10, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So let's be clear. In the previous chapter, Paul says very bluntly, uh, if you don't provide for your household and uh, family, you're worse than an unbeliever. Okay. Okay. So let's take this in context. So we know no money is bad. We know working is good. Making a living is good. Making extra than a living so that you can help yourself and those around you is a really good thing. But making um, and pursuing money at any cost uh, becomes a very bad thing. And pursuing money to the extent that it is the greatest desire in your life, it is idolatry, it is sinful, and it will eventually uh, destroy your your walk with God if you're a Christian and uh, it'll make it harder for you to become a Christian as Jesus said it's 
it's uh, easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich person to enter the uh, kingdom of heaven. So money comes with weight. It comes with temptation. It comes with traps. It comes with uh, har harmful desires and foolish desires. And the love and pursuit of money comes with all kinds of evil and can ultimately destroy your life. So keep that in mind. He says uh, to Timothy, verse 11, but you, man of God, he says, flee from these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. So um, he's talking about how these false teachers, let's recap, are pursuing money. Ultimately, that's why they're teaching. That's why they are, are uh, trying to be uh, teachers of the Bible and teachers of people. It's not because they really want good for the people. It's not that they want to love the people. It's not that they want the people to be right with God. Ultimately, they just want money. The problem with that is that money is terrible when it's worshiped like a God, and it leads us to all kind of evil when we do that. And so he tells Timothy, he says, don't pursue money like that. Uh, it is not the most important thing. He says, I want you to flee from this, flee from the worship of money, flee from the love of money. Uh, what instead I want you to love, worship, pursue is the Lord and to also pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, gentleness. These are be to, to be the character traits that he pursues as opposed to material gain. He needs to be focused on the inside and not the outside of material gain, but the inside of, of spiritual gain, of uh, spiritual uh, fortitude and strengthening. He says, fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called and about which you have made a good confession in the presence of many witnesses. So he says, Keep in line with, with the, um, the proclamation that you made early on, you know, as a Christian, keep fighting that fight. Don't stray from your Christian faith, Timothy. Um, take hold of that eternal life that's freely offered in Christ and uh, follow and live out your calling and um, continue in what you started as a younger man, right? So he is to flee sin, verse 11, to chase righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and uh, gentleness, right? So look at uh, verse um, 13 with me. Um, he says, In the presence of God, who gives life to all, and of Christ Jesus. So what we're going to see in verse 13 is that he's going to give a, a few witnesses of Timothy's life. So in verse 13, there there's a, a group of things that that are bearing witness to the life of Timothy. There are uh, more than one parties that are rooting for Timothy, cheering Timothy on, and that Timothy should keep in mind as he makes his decisions as a leader of the church. So he says, in the presence of God, right? Um, God is amidst him every day, uh, each and every day, who gives life to all, and of Christ Jesus, who gave a good confession before Pontius Pilate, right? So here in verse 13, um, he's referencing the ability of Jesus Christ at the end of his life uh, to be able to, before Pontius Pilate, stand on his own two feet and uh, with fortitude uh, tell Pontius Pilate, hey, 
anything that you have, it's because God gave it to you. Um, he's able to stand up to him and his life has been pure and free from any sin. And so uh, he can bear witness to Pontius Pilate of uh, the Christian life. And so he says in the presence of God who gives life to all, to Christ who gave a good confession, the presence of God is bearing witness to the life of Timothy. Uh, Jesus Christ himself is bearing witness to Timothy's life. He's watching and he says, I charge you to keep this verse 14 command without fault or failure right so he's saying timothy for all of your life this is what you need to do um, abandon this pursuit of wealth it's not good abandon this pursuit of excess it's not going to help your soul abandon all that it is that is the worship of money you need to worship the lord and you need to be concerned with the lord you need to serve the Lord. You don't need to worship and serve and love money. Um, it's just a tool. Don't treat it like a God. That's what he's telling him. That's great advice for us. It's helpful for me, I know personally. Um, and he says, he commands him without fault or failure to keep this. He says, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, right? So uh, until the return of Christ, until they come before Christ, um, he's to do this till the day of his death. Uh, God will bring this about in his own time. He is the uh, blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, who no one has seen or can see, and to him be honor and eternal power. Amen. So Paul tells Timothy that uh, the return of Christ and Timothy's uh encounter with Christ of him seeing him and ultimately being able to eternally dwell with him it's going to be in the Lord's timing so for whatever time he has on earth whether it's one year or 10 years or many decades uh, Timothy is to be uh, consistent and faithful and busy with what he should be busy with and and he's reminding him here who Jesus is who it is that he serves right because money is seductive, money is attractive, money looks good, wealth looks enjoyable. But for the Christian, it's not that money and wealth and the pursuit of money doesn't look good. It's that the pursuit of Christ looks even better. The pursuit of Christ is more beautiful, more satisfying, uh, more enjoyable. And so he reminds Timothy to pursue the Lord. He doesn't say just don't pursue this. He says, don't pursue this because you need to pursue this, something greater. It's uh, the only blessed, the only sovereign, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who alone is immortal, the one who lives in unapproachable light. Uh, money cannot buy this, folks, um, whom no one has seen or can see. Um, to him be honor and eternal power. Um, Paul is reminding himself, he's reminding Timothy of the great and majestic God that we serve and that that is more important. Uh, God, God can create wealth in heaven. He has. The streets will be paved with gold. Um, we know that uh, all things in this life are, are um, a testing grounds for the next life. And so in this life, if we pursue what God can give, and abandon him, we miss out on the whole purpose of our life. But instead, we should be willing to abandon everything to be one with the Lord. And in good time, we will be blessed 
with great wealth. Um, and, uh, and even so, maybe in this life, um, we are blessed financially. And for that reason, because we're living for eternity, we need to be willing to share that with those who are in need. Uh, greater than us, we need to be willing to, uh, beyond what is necessary for our life, uh, with what is excess, we need to be willing to share that. And I'm a firm believer in that. Um, and so he says uh, this closing statement about the Lord, and he goes on to give, uh, at the end of this chapter um, and book, um, instruction to the rich, and then he gives a challenge to Timothy. So in this, he deals with some teaching for rich people that's specific to them, as he's done throughout all six of these chapters. Instruct those who are rich in the present age not to be arrogant, okay? With riches, as you already talked about, we already discussed, comes all kinds of temptations. One of the common characteristics is arrogance. You get rich and you become arrogant because you have money and you think that uh, you earned it and uh, the Lord didn't help you in any way. You think you can pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. And you think if you bump into anything in life, you can solve it with money, right? So it can lead to arrogance. He says, instruct those who are rich in this present age um, in comparison to the future age of heaven uh, where things will be different, uh, not to be arrogant or to set their hope, he says here, on the uncertainty of wealth, but on God who richly provides us with all things to enjoy. I love this. So he doesn't want rich people to necessarily um, not be rich. They can use their riches for the kingdom of God. It's, it's a great thing to be a rich Christian. Uh, as long as you're a generous Christian and you're a humble Christian. And so as long as you also don't worship money, you don't set your hope on the uncertainty of wealth. It could be here today and gone tomorrow. Likewise, uh, wealth isn't going to buy you greater standing with God. It doesn't matter. Um, if anything, it, it may cause more challenge between you and the Lord. So keep that in mind. He says, set their hope. Tell these rich people, set their hope on God who richly provides us with all things to enjoy. So ultimately, as Jesus told Pontius Pilate, as I'm telling you here today, any good gift that you have, it ultimately is from God. Even if you landed a job and worked your, your butt off, uh, God has allowed you to be born in the place you were born. He's allowed you to have a, a working mind that you have and a working body that you have. Uh, God has allowed everything in your life. He's allowed you to meet the right people and uh, hold down that job, and um, he's allowed you to forego maybe certain things that would strip you of all of that. And likewise, as he has provided you with all those things, he can equally take them all away. Um, so um, if it would be for your good. And so the Lord is good, and he provides, but keep that in mind that uh, ultimately everything you have is the Lord's. And uh, just as it has been given, it could be taken away. Not that we should live in fear, but we should be respectful and not put our hope there. Our hope's never on money. It's on the Lord, right? As he says, who richly provides. So if you go from being rich to poor as a Christian, your hope, your place of hope should be the same. It should be on God. Um, instruct them to do what is good, to be rich in good works. So with this great amount of money, you have increased capacity and increased, might I add, responsibility 
uh, to love yourself, love your God, and love your neighbor. Okay? Uh, with that added wealth comes added responsibility, right? So uh, instruct them to do what is good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and willing to share, okay? Storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of what is truly life. I love this. This is so helpful. Um, so if you're rich, that's not bad to be rich. It's not wrong to be rich, but use it for the Lord. Um, bless yourself in eternity even greater, right? By not giving it to the church and making uh, jacked up pastors become more rich. No, love your neighbor with that money. Love your uh, lost neighbors who don't know the Lord and love your, your Christian neighbors who are in, in need of help. Um, you have a great opportunity, a great responsibility if you're rich. Struck them to do what is good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and willing to share. That's the mark of a Christian. Uh, you're willing to share if you have wealth. You're willing to be generous. Um, if you're not generous and you're not willing to share and you're not willing to be rich in good works, it's not the mark of a um, mature believer that has money. And why? He says in verse 19, storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the coming age. He's saying set yourself up for the future, all right? Set yourself up. You could live your short life here on earth with everything and eternity super broke, or you could invest some of this money here that you have in your life by giving it over to the Lord in various ways of service. And in doing that, set yourself up with heavenly rewards that will never perish, spoil, or fade. Um, and the things of this world, they are uncertain and they do perish, they do spoil, they do fade, and they don't bring us that true enjoyment of life. Contentment brings us great joy, uh, not material gain. Material gain doesn't bring us more joy. Um, and that's why he says, so that they may take hold of what is truly life. True life is not found in riches. It's found in godliness. It's found in a relationship with the Lord. And it's found in um, appreciating what God has given us and being content with that. So he tells Timothy in verse 20, Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you. A final message in this letter, avoiding irreverent and empty speech, right? Basically, um, he's saying, don't get caught up in what these false teachers are doing, teaching wrong stuff, being divisive in the church, pursuing uh, fighting and quarreling that's unnecessary and teaching the wrong things and doing it for the wrong reasons to get money. He's saying, guard the gospel in your heart, uh, avoid irreverent and empty speech and contradictions from what is falsely called knowledge, right? Um, and so uh, avoid all these false teachings, avoid um, these empty teachings, avoid empty knowledge. He says, by professing it, some people have departed from the faith, um, right? There was um, all kinds of heretics and um, uh, people who were claiming to have knowledge about the Lord and uh, truth that was contrary to what had been passed on from the apostles and from Jesus himself. And people were leaving the faith to go to this false teaching. And so uh, Paul's warning Timothy uh, to guard the gospel, focus on the gospel, 
Don't let um, a seared conscience by abandoning godliness lead you to uh, be rejected by Christ at the end of your life. Uh, and he, he calls in, right, God as his witness. And uh, he says, lastly, uh, grace be with you all. And uh, he, he leaves Timothy with that. I love this chapter. It's really helpful, I think, for understanding money, really helpful understanding greed, really helpful for understanding the human heart, and uh, just have really thoroughly enjoyed this passage. I, I hope you enjoy it. I hope um, these uh, uh, conversations we're having about the Bible and the scriptures and a theology of greed, I, think, I hope and pray really truly that this is helpful for you not to fall into the trap of the world and to, uh, to serve the Lord and not to serve yourself and serve money. Um, if you like this content, uh, as I always say, if you're interested in more Bible teaching, uh, please give this a like, a subscribe. Uh, there's more to come, and uh, pray the Lord uh, blesses this in your life.